Hello and welcome back to another episode of Heart on the Hill. My name is Micah Hart. Thanks for tuning in. Today we are joined by former White House Director of Strategic Communications in the Trump administration, Mercedes Schlapp. Welcome, Mercedes. To get right into it, I just want to start with what can Biden be doing better? I mean, we saw the president recently held a celebration over the Inflation Reduction Act with inflation still high, gas prices nationally averaging at around $3.69, according to AAA. And what do you think Biden should be doing to make things better rather than celebrating? And what would you, what would you say you would have advised President Trump to do if he were in this situation? Right. Well, Biden should stop attacking half of uh, the Americans in this country uh, by calling them horrific names like extremists and uh, semi-fascists. And, and I really think that Biden should be honest and direct with the American people. He needs to know that the American people are suffering. We know that two-thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And in essence, uh, instead of trying to spin his way out of inflation. I mean, these were the, this is the same administration that called inflation transitory. Uh, and, you know, he needs to be upfront with them. And the reality is, is what we know is, you know, when you saw this event happening at the White House, that they, you know, they brought this old time musician, James Taylor. They were, you know, they were taking selfies outside uh, of the White House. I mean, there was no there is no reason to celebrate when you know that the Inflation Reduction Act does nothing uh, to reduce inflation. And this is according to the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you're watching what's happening on television where he's signing the, this uh, law and or this bill. And in essence, you're seeing the Dow plunge over a thousand points. You know, it just doesn't work, I think. And I think that it just shows how delusional and out of touch the Biden administration is. Hmm. And you, you you alluded to this, that the, the president recently called MAGA Republicans a, a threat to democracy. And so and the press secretary backed him up and supported his remarks. What are your thoughts? And do you think the president can even now come to the point of uniting the country, which he said he would do in building back better. And it seems like he's building back broken. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's just a little too late for Joe Biden. I think that the Democrats, uh, the progressives under the leadership of Joe Biden, they've made a tactical decision to try to attack uh, anyone associated with Joe Biden and they're using the Department of Justice and the FBI to go after MAGA Republicans. You know, we were actually caught, you know, we were, we were so surprised when they go after, like, Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, for crying out loud. Um, it just shows how uh, these government institutions are being weaponized. And I, I'll tell you, you know, I, it's, it's not about build back better. It's about bringing back Marxism. I mean, it's really scary. It's, we're living in very dangerous times when you have one party doing everything they can to tear down the other party, to bully uh, Americans who simply believe in making sure that America stays great. And, and people who just love this country and want to protect the, the culture and the values of what makes this country exceptional. And so for Joe Biden to personally attack millions of Americans, calling them outrageous names, 
is, is something that I think I, that makes me very worried as someone who's been in politics for a very long time. I don't think I've seen a president ever attack Americans in the way that we're seeing Joe Biden um, attack MAGA Republicans and, and really continue to vilify the former president, President Trump. Yeah, and I, I want I want to shift a little bit because obviously after we, when we see something with the president and people do get upset, at least there's always another election, and we're we're coming upon the midterm elections. How confident are you in the Republicans' chances in the midterms? And do you think in issues like abortion will be big issues that either hurt or help the party? And how do you think everything will play out? Look, I think the Democrats are literally betting on abortion to be the swing issue to bring over suburban women and independents in their court. But when you're looking at all the polling, it's very clear that the economy and the inflation are the top concern of voters for this midterm election. And I would argue that the Republicans should stay focused also on talking about the chaos at the border. We just saw you know, Kamala Harris uh, respond to an interview uh, with Chuck Todd from Meet the Press, where she literally says that the border is secure, which is, again, being completely dishonest to the American people when you see the record number of illegal immigrants entering the country, the record number of fentanyl and other drugs coming through the border and ending up in so many of our communities. And in essence, you see, for example, when uh, they dropped off illegal immigrants in front of the Naval Observatory, which is where the vice president lives. And they interview one uh, individual who is Venezuelan who basically said, yes, the border is open and it, and, it, and it is easy to get through the border. So I think that it, it's between with talking about the border, talking about what we're seeing in the in the cities where uh, crime continues to increase. People do not feel safe in their neighborhoods. And add to that in record inflation, volatile food and energy prices, and it is just putting an enormous amount of stress on the American people. And instead of the Biden administration hitting these issues and dealing with these issues head on, they continue to circumvent, they continue to ignore uh, these issues and trying to just spin their way out of their disastrous policies. Yeah, and I, w- I want to go a little more into midterms as well now. And, you know, we see people like John Fetterman in Pennsylvania who are running for for office and they're they're hesitant to even hold debates. Now, Fetterman has had an illness, but do, what are your thoughts on that now? We're there across the country, even there are candidates who are saying, you know, we'll have a debate, but it will be the end of October, which is when early voting has already started. Do you are you at all concerned about that in this election? Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, uh, the debates are a critical part of any election. It's important for the voter to get to know these candidates, to get to know where they stand on a number of issues. And so I think for, you know, when you have the Washington Post, obviously the, the, one of the most liberal publications coming out and saying, Fetterman, you really do need to debate. Um, Dr. Oz, I think that that's a very important sign that this is something we can all agree on, which is that, you know, sadly, you know, Fetterman had the stroke. It's impacted his health. And uh, and in S, but that doesn't mean he cannot debate. He needs to get on stage and make the case to the people in Pennsylvania 
which I think at the end of the day for Fetterman, when you break it down and look at his policies, he is all, I mean, he is more left of Bernie Sanders. I mean, he is a huge progressive. He is all about focusing on climate change and releasing uh, violent criminals into the, uh, the society. And it's just his policies do not align with the values of the people of Pennsylvania. I had the great honor of interviewing Dr. Oz. He's actually uh, going to be joining us here at my house next week. And, uh, and I'll tell you something. He's the real deal. He's very conservative. He understands what we need to do to make sure they bring jobs back to Pennsylvania. He's going to be an independent type of senator where he's going to, if he has to challenge leadership, he'll challenge Republican leadership. But at the same time, um, you know, he's his own man and he knows what has to get done uh, to make sure that we have policies that are pro-growth and pro-opportunity for uh, the people of Pennsylvania. And I really think he'd make a great senator, especially as I spend time getting to know him. Yeah, and I want to keep now going into this, and you've echoed your optimism about Republicans taking back the House and or the Senate. And I'd love to go into now, what do you think they need to do? I mean, we saw what happened with Mike Lindell of MyPillow, and we saw what happened with former President Trump and the FBI and how the government and Biden's administration is getting so involved. We saw January 6th investigations going on. What must Republicans do now? Because... They're, they would be coming in at a time of utter chaos that investigations, do you think investigations need to be done? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Look, I think, um, look, I feel pretty bullish of that, that the Republicans are going to win the House. You know, every with all the different candidates that we've spoken to, uh, it, it's, it's really clear what is on the minds of these voters. And, you know, and, and I have the advantage of being married to a political uh you know, veteran with my husband, Matt Schlapp, who runs CPAC. And, you know, he himself also, uh, looking at all the polls and everything, we really believe that the House is definitely going to be, Republicans will win the House. I think we could, we will uh, win the Senate, but it will be a very slim majority. But when you look at states like Georgia, where Herschel Walker is up by three points in many of these polls, um, you know, I think you look at Adam Laxalt, in Nevada, also very promising how that election looks. You know, we, we're going to pick up seats. And, and so it's, it's a very encouraging sign uh, to watch. But I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, when the Republicans come into power, uh, you know, obviously they're going, you know, they got to stop. They're going to stop the January 6th nonsense, which we know was one of the most partisan uh, commission committees uh, to, to come together uh, where they didn't even question anything that Nancy Pelosi did in her failure to secure the Capitol on January 6th. We know it's a witch hunt. We know that they we, that the uh, Judiciary Committee, which will be run by uh, Jim Jordan, uh, who understands what's uh, at stake here, uh, will investigate Hunter Biden and the Biden crime family and what we knew about that laptop and how Joe Biden uh, could have been associated with Hunter Biden's dealings. That's going to be, you know, one of the top priorities, I think, for the Judiciary Committee. And on top of that, it's also bringing in uh, Christopher Wray from the FBI and bringing in Merrick Garland from the Department of Justice. Why this continual focus on targeting political opponents of Joe Biden, including uh, trying to take down Donald Trump, 
which is the ultimate goal of the Democrats. Yeah, and do you think that there's a way, I mean, we were talking earlier about President Biden, you know, always saying he was going to unite the country, and that obviously hasn't happened. Do you, would, do you think Republicans or would really try to do that and extend the olive branch to say to Democrats or even like, I mean, the Democratic Party now is so vast and there's so many people on moderates and then there's a lot of further left progressives. Do you think Republicans will be very willing to, yeah, let's do something together like that? You know, I think that the two parties are in two very, very different places. And I don't see how you're going to find a lot of common ground. Where you should find common ground should be on stopping the influx of these dangerous drugs like fentanyl coming through the border. That should and has to be a bipartisan issue. What should be another bipartisan issue is stopping human trafficking, where so many of these uh, young girls and boys are literally uh, sent through the border uh, there's sex, it's sex trafficking. It, it's these horrific stories of girls being raped as they're coming through the border. That should be a bipartisan issue. I think when it comes uh, to, you know, just in, in essence, I think it's going to be hard to reach a lot of consensus with the Democrats because the Democrat Party is no longer a moderate party. There's only the few that are left, like a Joe Manchin or, you know, Kristen Sinema from, uh, from Arizona. And so you do have this sense of, of a clear divide between the, with the, where the both parties are. And I think you see that even uh, nationally, where you see the red states and the blue states really going further apart uh, on so many of these issues. And look, it's, it's not going to be an easy time. Yeah. And now I'd like to shift a little bit. Um, for time we have left and uh, focus more. We've been talking about everything going on in the country now on what you're doing. And you've been in the news a little bit recently with uh, the Pennsylvania um, gubernatorial race. Um, Republican candidate Doug Mastriano has suggested that you should moderate the debate because there's been a lot of issues about even having a debate. And he suggested you. So what are your thoughts on that? Would you do it? How, how do you think that's playing up in that race specifically? Everything? Yeah, going on? I mean, I would love to moderate a debate between Shapiro and Mastriano. I think that, uh, you know, these debates are critical for uh, these voters to know where these candidates stand, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, I obviously have a very, um, I would say, a a strong resume in understanding the different policy issues that matter uh, to the people of Pennsylvania. And look, this is the big challenge, is that when you have so many of these media types, they are very much uh, clearly you to the left and it's about trying to find the balance uh you know i would i would say i wouldn't mind if it would be myself and someone who's more you know who's who's more liberal and then we go and ask all these different questions you know i think i bring a very different perspective as you know being uh in understanding for example what the latino community is going through and, and really knowing not only domestic issues but national security issues so of course i'd be honored to moderate the debate and 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 you know, be a very balanced and fair player um, in the process. Yeah, I I'd love to also bring up. You mentioned the Latino and uh, how you'll be able to, you'd be able to understand that. Uh, what do you think is going on right now? Where I mean, we saw um, Myra Flores literally won in that district, um, heavily Latina. Um, what would you say? Is is there a realization um, in the Latino community? And what what would you say? 
Republicans need to build on there. Yeah, I'm really excited about the prospects of continuing to build uh, this Hispanic coalition. It's something I've worked on for over 20 years, and it's finally there's a shift happening in our country where the Latinos are are very much questioning the positions of the Democrats. Look, when you have the Democrat Party attempting to change the Spanish language, introducing words like Latinx, which are non-existent in our Spanish culture, and trying to, uh, you know, push forward this gender confusion agenda in our schools and really go after, you know, our values, I think you've seen the Latino community rise up and say no more. You know, they're hardworking families. They want to make sure that there's economic mobility uh, in their lives. They want their children to, you know, achieve even greater things than, than, you know, the parents have. And for them, they view economic opportunity and uh, the love of country and the and being pro-life, all of these wonderful characteristics that embody the Republican Party and the conservative movement, it's a better fit for them. And so that's why you're seeing this rise of these amazing uh, congressional candidates. Um, for example, Myra Flores, there's a wonderful candidate here in Virginia, Yesley Vega, who is dynamite. Um, and the list goes on and on. And it's really been amazing to watch these women speak up and rise up and say, you know, they, while the New York Times call them far-right Latinas, which is just an outrage, these are women who simply love God, love their country, love their community, and want to serve and make sure that conservative values are, uh, are achieved or pursued as opposed to this progressive agenda of the left. Yeah, I'd love to just end with this question. Um, and how is CPAC going for you? And how is everything going on your end of the um, your work going? I, I'd well, love to hear about uh, that. Thanks for asking. No, uh, we have been so busy. Uh, we're, you know, CPAC began uh, back in 1967. It was, it was started by William F. Buckley, a great conservative thinker back in the day. And it, and it really... Uh, you know, took off. Ronald Reagan spoke there 13 times. And it was, you know, this kind of once-a-year once conference bringing conservatives from across the country. Well, now what we have realized, and really under the leadership of my husband, Matt, is that we wanted to make it CPAC 365, where we're constantly uh, connecting with our grassroots activists across the country, giving them the latest news, giving them the best messaging, uh, for them to use and the tools they need to be able to either run for office or get involved in the election process. And so uh, it's really been an amazing experience. And the most, um, one of the most amazing parts is not only now is the conference twice, it, it, what, twice a year. Uh, we do one uh, last year, we did one in Florida and then it, this year in Florida and Texas next year, we're going back to Washington DC in early March, but also we've had over 30 countries approach us to do international CPAC. Wow. And so this year alone, we've done several of them. We can't, we haven't been able to do the 30-something because otherwise we'd be out of the country all the time. <laughs> and for us, America is our top priority. But just this summer, we, uh, we did CPAC Brazil. We did CPAC Israel, which was Ben Shapiro came to speak at CPAC Israel. And then now uh, Matt's heading to CPAC Australia. And we've got CPAC Mexico in November and CPAC Japan in December. So what we have found is that these international partners want uh, to learn how we get organized here 
in uh, the United States and how we can apply best practices to stop the fake news, to uh, really find candidates who can run and win and really build this international conservative movement that is focused on a simple principle, that of freedom, something that we cherish in America, something that we need to protect every day in America, and something that we need to make sure that everyone across the globe could have that opportunity to live in a free country, in a country where you are allowed to disagree with your government and not be persecuted. And so it's been an amazing journey so far, and we continue to expand, which has been uh, fabulous. And, you know, Matt and I do our show three times a week, on, uh, which is a podcast on America Uncanceled with Matt and Mercedes Schlapp. It's quick, fast-paced, with great guests, and really tackling the issues that are happening here at the Swamp and across the globe. So that's been a really fun project for us as well. Um, so, you know, we're going to keep expanding our CPAC Now channel. And it's just been a wonderful opportunity overall to continue to build a conservative movement, a strong conservative movement, to make sure that our freedoms are protected here in America. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all that you and your husband are doing for this country. I greatly appreciate you joining us today, and I can't wait to see all that you do in the future. Yeah, come join us at CPAC. We have so many students that come. I know a lot of Hillsdale uh, students come. We're big fans of Hillsdale College, and, and really, um, you know, it's a great place to be. It's where all the conservatives really come together. It's the largest uh, conservative event, and we'd love to have you all uh, join us at well, CPAC. Will do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heart on the Hill. I greatly appreciate you listening today, and thank you so much to Mercedes Schlapp for joining us. See you next week.